You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Hey, today um, we're continuing. Let me say this. We're wrapping up our series on the book of James. And so if you've been with us, this is our fourth week. We've kind of been working through the book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James is writing to believers, not to unbelievers. So he's writing to the church. So here's what's good. That means he's writing to us. It applies to us. There's a lot of what he's talking about that we can apply to our lives right now. And so we've looked at a lot of different things so far today. We're going to be talking about the pride problem. (laughs) Pride is something that is so sneaky that it can creep into your life without you even realizing it. Many times... The issues that we're facing in life, um, even the sin that we're facing in life, things that we're, we're battling against, at the very root of it is a root of pride. Something in me that I've raised up or that I've been in self-pride that has brought on something uh, in my life. In fact, let me say it this way. Um, you can go ahead and grab that, babe. So don't, be, don't be too embarrassed to grab that. Um, <laughs> uh, this is my wife, Leslie, by the way. So uh, that's why I called her babe. Let me make that clear. Anyway, let me continue. <laughs> Golly, I'm off to a bumpy start. Let me get back on track here. Let me say this. Has anyone seen that old movie called Homeward Bound? Anybody seen that movie? The tearjerker, you know what I'm talking about. So at the, the, if you haven't seen it, uh, there's these, these two dogs and a cat, and they are on a, a journey back to their owners, okay? And they each have their own owner, and they're going. And at the very end of the movie, I don't want to spoil it or anything, but they get to a point where um, the oldest one falls into this, this muddy pit, and... he's an older dog and he falls into this muddy pit and he can't climb out. He tries all these times. He's covered in mud. He's trying to get out. And eventually he says this in his old voice. He says, I just can't. And if you want a good cry, you can watch that this afternoon. Okay. Because at this point in the movie, when he says he's trying and trying, he says, I just, I just can't. And he falls back into the mud and he just lays down. And the other animals, well, in this movie, if you haven't figured it out, the animals are talking and you can understand what they're saying. But anyway, um, that would make that make this more make sense. Anyway, uh, so the other animals like, no, you keep trying. And he's just like, go on without me. And this is this tear breaking or just, you know, tear jerking, heartbreaking scene. But I think many times this is what happens in the spiritual realm with us. We're going about our life, we're going on the journey, and some point in our life we seem to fall into this muddy pit spiritually, and we're trying to get out, and we're attempting to get out, but many times we try to get out in our own power, and we never can succeed to get out. Spiritually what happens, and this doesn't happen in the movie, but spiritually what happens when we do that, when we fall into a pit spiritually, and we just feel like, man, this season of life, I'm striving, and I'm like burning out, and I just can't get out of this pit that I'm facing of sin, of addiction, of of crisis, so that's going on, trauma in my life, whatever it is, I can't seem to get out. In God's word, we see that there's a way that God will throw a rope down, come into the pit with you, pick you up, and carry you out of the pit. And many times when we talk about pride, we don't talk about it from this angle. We talk about it from, and I will a little bit today, we'll talk about it, and that's how James talks about it, from a little bit of, well, when you have pride, you bring on destruction. That is true. But I want us to see the heart of the Father when we battle pride. How does he see us? And we're going to get that to the, at the very end here. So let's look, at, let's look at our passage of Scripture. We're going to look at James chapter 4, 
10 verses today, verses 1 through 10, James 4, 1 through 10. I'm going to read from the New Living. It's up here on the screen if you want to follow along. Here's what James says, and uh, we'll break it down for us. He says this, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Again, he's talking to believers. He's like, why are you guys always battling with each other? He says, don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Verse 4. You adulterers, some harsh language here, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God. God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you, you, uh, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up in honor. There's the key point at the very end there. When I humble myself, what can he do? He can get in the pit with me and I've allowed him to help me. But here's what happens. Many times, pride will keep God at arm's length. God will even get in the pit with you and he'll say, hey, I can help you get out. But pride will say, I'm gonna do it my way. I can get myself out of this mess. I can get myself free from this addiction. I can get myself in right standing with God based on what I do every single week. I don't, need, I don't need church. I don't need accountability. I don't need friends in my life checking in on me. I can do it. And we keep help that will lift us up out of the pit. We keep it at arm's length. And we just continue to waller in the muddy pit. Let's not be those people that waller in the muddy pit spiritually. Let's get out so we can walk on purpose for what God has for us. Here's the first thing that James shows us is that selfishness is a catalyst to the issues of life. If you have a note-taking card, you can write that down. It's the first fill in the blank. I chose catalyst too, so you really have to work on your spelling today. So you're welcome, all right? So, <laughs> um, so selfishness is a catalyst to the issues of life. See how much you're paying attention. Here we go. Catalyst. So what does that mean? Catalyst is the spark that sets off a chemical reaction, it's that spark that initiates the chemical reaction or something that's going to take place after it. It's the beginning of the issues of life. It, it precipitates bad things. Where is it rooted? Pride isn't something that just shows up. Pride comes from a seed of something. Pride comes from a seed of selfishness. Let's look at it. James 4, we'll go back to verses 1 through 2. He says this, What causes the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that are where? Within you. Within you, that's selfishness, you want what you do not have. So you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. He's not talking about going to war against a country in a country. He's talking about within believers. He's talking about us in our relationships, going to battle, fighting against. He's talking about us with our spouse. He said, you're always going after it. Where does it start? Selfishness selfishness. When I live a me-focused life, 
It is the spark or the start of a reaction and a process that leads to all kinds of evil, strife, and issues. Here's a great identifier. Have you ever known someone, and it's sad to see this, sad to see people that are angry at other people's happiness? Can we be honest? Have you ever felt that before? I've been praying for that. What gives them the right to get that prayer answered when that's what we've been praying for? You see someone succeed, and your first reaction, which is the flesh reaction, is anger, upset. That's a great indicator that that's not necessarily pride, but it could be a small seed of selfishness, which, if left to itself, will grow into something much worse. And that's the key. When it's left to itself, if I don't identify that as a seed of selfishness and get it out and throw it away spiritually, it will turn into something much, much worse. Selfishness is a seed that when allowed to take root in our lives will eventually lead to us, listen to me, not inheriting the kingdom of God. I'll say that again. Selfishness is a seed. When left, uh, then when allowed to take root in our lives will eventually lead to us not inheriting the kingdom of God. Let me show you this in Galatians 5. This is what's called the works of the flesh. There's like the fruit of the spirit, which is listed after this, that God wants to produce in your life. This is the works of the flesh. This is what selfishness will lead to. This is how you know if it's, if it's in our lives. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. What is that? Sexual activity outside of biblical marriage. One man born a man. One woman born a woman in covenant with God. That's biblical marriage. Anything outside of that, any sexual activity outside of that is sexual immorality. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry. Idolatry is not just some golden calf that you have in the corner of your house. Okay, if you have that, that's, that could be, yes. <laughs> Please, I hope you don't have that in your house. But um, it can be your phone. It can be your career. It can be your kid's sports team. It can be the things that are keeping you from God. What's the thing that's constantly keeping me from church? What's the thing that's constantly keeping me from quiet time with God every day? What's the thing that's constantly keeping me from doing my, God, um, my God-given job, which is to parent my kids, to lead my family? What's the thing that's keeping me? What's the thing that's causing me to disobey God? That thing that I've allowed to be there could be an idol. Sorcery, hostility, Quarreling. See, the first ones are pretty heavy, right? The first one, like sexual immorality, purity, these things. Now we're getting into jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness. Well, it was my birthday. I got a little tipsy. I got a little drunk. What's the big deal? Let's continue reading. I'll show you what the big deal is. Wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. If I ever see that, Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That should make me go back and reread what I just read. Because I want to make sure that I am positioning myself to walk in all that God has for me. But selfishness is the catalyst to everything on this list. Selfishness. What do I want? And that's the world we live in. You do you. Like you. You're, oh, you're five years old and you were born a boy, but you want to be a girl? cool. What? <laughs> what are we doing? No, that's not, no, no. Selfishness, when left unchecked, leads to all kinds of evil and destruction. And where does it end? 
not inheriting the kingdom of God. That is a huge thing. I want what God has for me. I want what he has for me. And what does he have? Good things. Good things. But where does it start? Have I allowed selfishness to take root in my life? Selfishness keeps us from receiving all that God has for us. It keeps me from receiving everything. God is saying, I have so much for you. And selfishness says, I'm just going to do it my own way. It's as silly as being in a pit of mud. Someone gets in to help you. They have a rope and they're saying, come with me. I'm going to carry you out of here. And you say, nah, I'm good. I'm going to keep trying up, going up this muddy slope here. And eventually I'll try to get out. No, get the help. That's what God's doing. He's saying, I can help you if you would let me. This is why James addresses the prayers of the people. This is interesting. Go back to James 4, verses 2 and 3. He says this, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. That's the first thing. You have not because you ask not. But he says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives, your motives are all wrong. You want what will only give you pleasure. He said, you're asking for your stuff, not for God's stuff. You're asking for your will to be done, not God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. I'm asking, one pastor said it this way, and I thought this was really good. He said, if God answered all your prayers from this past week, would your world change or would the world change? That's good. (laughs) There's been a lot of days and a lot of weeks where my world would be great, but my family's world, my city's world, my church, their life wouldn't change at all if God answered my prayer. I've got to take inventory. How am I praying? So many times we go to God and I I go to him and I'm reading my Bible and I'm going because I want something from God, not because I want more of God. And that's the difference. When's the last time I just got alone with God and I didn't ask for anything? Like I just got quiet with him for 15, 30 minutes, five minutes, and I just worshiped. I just sat quietly and listen to worship music. I just sat quietly and just listened for his voice. I just told him thank you over and over for 10 or 15 minutes. When's the last time I did that? Without, without approaching, God bless my day, bless my kids, help me get that raise, help me get that job, help me get that thing. God can easily turn into the vending machine for us. And what's the vending machine? Selfishness. I go to a vending machine because I want something for me. I'm going to the vending machine, and I'm going to do all the right things, hit the right buttons so I can get what I want. God's not in the business of being our vending machine. Does he have good things for us? Absolutely. He has the kingdom of God for you and for me. But, as we're going to see and as we just read, I must humble myself, submit to his will, and acknowledge this, that his will for my life is better than my will for my life. His will for my life is better than my will for my life. And many times we can't see that. Why? Because we have an earthly human brain, earthly human perspective. And we think this big when God says, my plan for your life is this big. Do you trust me enough, though, to do it my way? And that's what he's asking. Prayer is powerful. Prayer done with the right heart. It brings good, godly things. But selfishness, even in prayer, is a catalyst to the issues of life. Selfishness, even in prayer. That's why James says you, you have or you ask, but you're not getting what you want because you're asking with the wrong motives. Here's what Spurgeon said. I have this quote. I want to read it here. You can put it up on the screen. He says, you may have everything by asking and nothing without asking. 
I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. And I beseech you to abound in it. He says, all heaven lies before the grasp of the asking man. All the promises of God are rich and inexhaustible. And their fulfillment is to be had by prayer. Prayer is vital. Prayer is good. But prayer done with the right heart changes the world. It will change your world and it will change the world. And that's where we miss it. I've been praying for this, this, and this. God hasn't showed up. I don't know what's going on. It may, not be, it may be God's timing that the situation is, but you also must take a step back from time to time. And just, if I could read a script of my prayers, how would it look? How would it read? Is it filled with me or is it filled with him and others and asking for his will to be done? That's the prayer God wants to answer. The second thing James shows us is this. God resists the proud. This is another one of those, ver- those verses that should get our attention. God resists the proud. Selfishness is the catalyst to the issues of life, and the issues of life are riddled with pride. So when I have, am I, if I become a proud person, uh, let's, let's read these verses and we'll, I'll show you what I mean. James 4, 4 through 6. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scripture has no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives us grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes or God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When I allow selfishness and pride to rule my life and I make my decisions, I become a friend of the world. That's what the world does. The world does whatever it wants because it's the Lord of its own life. So when I choose selfishness and I choose to allow pride to rule my decision making every day, I've made myself a friend of the world. And here's what James says. He says, adulterer. That's, that's, a har- that's harsh language. What's he saying, though? He's saying vow breaker. He's saying, <laughs> with the same intensity that we condemn marital adultery, James reminds us that we, as the church, are the bride of Christ. And he's saying, when you choose to live against this, God's word, he's saying that's what the world does. You are breaking your covenant vow with God. That's a big deal. You are turning your back. How does it feel? Think, I mean, imagine how awful it is to go through something like that in the natural. And James brings that emotion to us in the spiritual. He says, don't turn the back on, your back on the one you love and the one that loves you. Don't do it. Verse 5, though, he says this. He says, the spirit within us yearns with jealousy for our attention. Uh, we, we went to a, a visit a different church in Oklahoma City uh, yesterday, and uh, the pastor, she said this. She said, if you're not jealous for time alone with God, ask him for it. You may be sitting there thinking, man, I don't feel like, I don't have, even have a want to, to get alone with God. Like, I don't feel it in me. Like, it feels like a burden to read my Bible. James says, and this is what she said last night too, and she echoed this, if you don't have a jealousy for time alone with God, ask him. Why? Because James shows us in verse 5 here, says, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he placed within us should be faithful to him. His spirit in you wants to be faithful to himself. <laughs> His spirit in you wants to be close with the Heavenly Father. 
We just have to allow him to go to work. And sometimes I got to say, Lord, give me that fire for you. And God will answer that prayer. But many times we just don't have it. And so we shrug it off. Maybe there's something wrong with me. I just don't get it. I'm just, I can't read. I'm not a reader, so I don't read God's word. Ask, and God will grant <laughs> that request. God won't grant that request. Our selfish pride, our, our sinful actions, they say to God, Lord, you're not enough. You're not enough. But verse 6 is amazing in here. He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Or God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, resist or oppose, the, the, the original translation would be to battle against. To battle against. And this would make sense why James says we make ourselves the enemy of God. That we have begun to turn ourselves, not from being in covenant with him, we have turned ourselves to now go at war against him. He says, don't, don't do that. <laughs> He's saying, be aware of what your actions are doing. So many times we downplay the selfish actions. We downplay the pride in our lives, saying, ah, that's just how I'm made. That's just my personality, whatever it might be. And James is saying, listen up. You're doing a lot more damage than you think you are when you act that way, when you live that way. God looks down and he, he doesn't say, let's, let's go. you want to turn your back on me? Let's battle then. That's not what he's, God looks down and he says, why have you made yourself my enemy? He looks down with a kind heart and he says, why? He says, all I've ever had for you was good. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through storms. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through hard times, but I've had good and I've been faithful to the good. Would you trust me for the good for tomorrow? Proverbs 16 and verse 18, this is probably the most common verse whenever we hear about pride. It says this, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Destruction comes because we choose to take ourselves out from under the lordship of God. We say, Lord, we're under his umbrella of protection. We say, you know what? I'm just going to go do my own thing. And when I do that, I bring destruction on myself. God's not standing up there with a lightning bolt just waiting for us. I dare you to step out from underneath this protection, underneath my will for you, and then I'm going to zap you. He's saying, I got good stuff for you. Just follow me. Stay behind me. I'm going this way. Walk with me here. Follow me. I'm going to cut a path here. You're going to walk with me. Let's walk together. Trust me. Trust where we're going. You may not see the next step, but I see it. I'm already there. I know exactly where we're going. But as soon as we do this and get out from behind him, I bring on destruction. God's not turning around to slap me over the head and say, get back in line. He's saying, why? Have I not paved a path for you? Do, you? do you not trust me enough to lead you through this life? But thank God for verse 6. Verse 6 feels tough at the beginning of, of uh, James 4, 6. It feels tough at the beginning because it says he resists or he opposes the proud. But in verse 6, what does it say? He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Thank God for verse 6 because his grace is available to us. And that's the solution. That's point number three. The solution is humility. God, how do I get out of this pit that I'm stuck in spiritually? Lord, how do I get out of this season that's just been a never-ending cycle of destruction? Lord, how, how do I face tomorrow? Humility. Step one. Humble 
myself. James 4, 7. Let's go back and read our key verses here. He says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God. God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up in honor. Here's what's interesting. We see another common word right here. What? Resist the devil. Where did we just read that? God resists the proud. Think of the times when you've been in spiritual warfare and you've been resisting the devil, rebuking him off your family's life, off of your life. Don't be in that situation with God. Don't go to war with God. It's unnecessary. He doesn't want to go to war with you. He, he wants to be in covenant with you. He wants to walk with you. How do we humble ourselves? This is what James breaks down for us. He says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Run to God. Do not run from him. Well, every time you're, you sin, you're going to be tempted to run and hide from God. I'm too embarrassed. I feel so guilty. I can't even imagine going and reading my Bible right now after what I just said, what I just did, what I just fell back into. Run to God. Because the promise is true. If I come close to him, he will come close to me. God is a gentleman who will not force his way into your life and take over everything. He's a gentleman who scripture says he waits at the door and he knocks. And when you open the door and invite him in, he will come in. That's what it means to come close to him. I go to him. Wash your hands is what he says next. Wash your hands. He's talking about physically washing our hands. He's talking about repent of your ways. Let your actions in the natural reflect what you're doing in the spiritual. Repent. That means to change your ways. Let your actions show that your heart has truly been changed. He says purify your heart. Meaning this, ask for forgiveness. Ask God to reveal any darkness in your heart. Lord, is there something in here that I haven't dealt with? Is there something in here that I've been okay with, but is truly sin in your sight? Will you show me, Lord? Will you just, will you help me purify my heart? He says, let there be tears, sorrow, deep grief, sadness, and gloom. What's he saying? He's showing us this. A genuine apology backed with action is the foundation of a new life in Christ. It's easy to have lip service. I'm sorry. I messed up. But ask God to break your heart for the things that breaks his heart. God, show me, give me your insight, give me your perspective into the things that aren't right in my life. Help me. He's not there, he's not there to condemn you. The Holy Spirit will convict you, which is what? To move you to action. To move you to turn from your ways. He's not there to condemn you for your past. That's the job of our spiritual enemy, the devil. He keeps bringing up your past, and God is saying, I've forgiven you of that. Here's your future. That's conviction moving forward. But James here, he powerfully described both the duty and the blessing of repentance. The job and the blessing of repentance. When we take initiative, God always delivers on his promise. When I take initiative, God always delivers on his promise. What does he say? Humble yourselves and he will lift you up. Come on. I can get you out of that mess you're in. I can get you out of that pit that you're in. I can show you the way out. Would you just get, get, keep following me? 
I know you don't know where we're going just yet. You only see the next step in front of you, but trust that where I'm going and where I'm leading you is so much better than where you wanted to go over there. Follow me, trust me, humble yourself and truly believe that God knows more than you know. God can see the future and you can't. God knows and is in tomorrow and you're not. Trust him in that. And in trust is to humble yourself. Here's why this is important. If you do not submit to God, you cannot effectively resist the devil. And you will remain constantly under his cruel, oppressive, destructive power for the rest of your life. People want to resist the devil all the time, but they don't have a ground to stand on because they haven't submitted first. You want to have power to resist the devil? Let's read it in context. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Another translation says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Too many times we want to be our own Lord, do our own thing, live our own life. And then when the enemy comes knock and we try to resist him, and then we try to panic and get a word from God and speak it. And God said, if you would just daily humble yourself, submit yourself to me. Anytime the enemy comes your way, you will have ground to stand, which is what we do when we take on the armor of God. We stand not in our own power, but in his power that he's given us, and we can resist him, and he will flee. But if I don't submit to God, I cannot effectively resist the devil. Here's the encouraging part. A fully submitted believer has the promise that he can resist the devil, and the devil will flee from the name of Jesus and from the conquering blood of Jesus. It is a promise from God. When I am fully submitted to God, the promise is that When I resist the devil, he will flee from the name of Jesus and the conquering blood of Jesus. Victory in Christ and living an overcoming life are products of a person filled with humility. Humble myself. Realize that I don't know everything. I am not God. Realize that I will never have God perfectly solved. He's not a math problem to be solved. If we could solve him and figure him out, I wouldn't want to serve him anyway because that's a pretty small God. He is higher His his thoughts are greater. He is so far beyond me. Because of that, I remain open-handed and I say, Lord, I submit to you. I humble myself. Would you help me live the life you want me to live? Help me not to walk in selfishness or pride, which will lead to destruction, which brings on stuff. Help me inherit the kingdom of God by remaining humble. God wants to answer that prayer. Remember, a small seed of selfishness can root and it can produce all the issues of life. Seek God for more of him, not more from him. Remember that God resists the proud. If you find yourself in a season where it's just like, man, God is closing every door that I'm trying to go and it feels like God's closing all these doors, take a step back. Are you trying to walk in your own path and God's trying to get your attention by closing doors? Maybe take a step back and ask, are these prideful decisions? Humble yourself. And not only will God lift you up, but he will make your prayers effective. Earlier on, what did James say? You have not because you ask not. That shows us that if I ask with the right heart, and in agreement with God's word, he wants to answer that prayer. In James chapter 5, it says this, James 5, 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. I don't know about you, but that's, I want that to be the description of my prayers. <laughs> they produce wonderful results, but it starts with humbling ourselves. As I wrap up, I just want to share 
that there's been times in our life, Leslie and I, as we've been in full-time ministry together for several years and doing this, there's been so many times where life happens and crisis happens and prayers don't get answered. And you thought things were going to turn out one way and they didn't. And you prayed for someone to get better and they didn't. And you believed God for something and it didn't happen or it was stolen from you. And so many times life happens. But can I tell you, all of, through all the stories that we have <laughs> of what seemed like unanswered prayers or what seemed like disappointment, do you want to know where I felt the closest to God? It was not necessarily in a church service. Not necessarily even when Les and I would pray together. But the times when I was home and everyone else was asleep and I'd go to the living room and I had no other answer for what we were facing, why it was happening. I have no answer for why we're facing what we're facing. But I would get on my face, physically lay down flat, face down on the ground and ask God for help. And I, I declare these promises of James. Lord, I am coming close to you. Will you come close to me? Lord, I am humbling myself in your sight. Will you lift me up? Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't face tonight. I don't even want to go to sleep. Will you help me for tonight? Will you help me for tomorrow? Will you give me hope for the future? And can I tell you, the presence of God and the tangible closeness of God, I have never felt like I have in those moments. Why? Because his word is true. Humble yourself, and he will lift you up. But sometimes you even physically need to get on your face in front of God to physically represent what you are spiritually trying to do, and then he can lift you up, and then he can give you hope for tomorrow, he can forgive you and put you back on track. He can give you wisdom for the decision that you need to make. He wants to help. Hear me. God is not, I said this before, but let me remind you, God is not looking to bash you over the head because you have pride in your life. He's looking at you and he's saying, son, daughter, will you trust that my way is better than yours? And he sees you in the pit and he wants to get in the pit with you and he wants to say, let me carry you. Let me just pick you up and carry you out of here. You've tried enough, you've strived enough, you've struggled enough, will you let me carry you out? But you have to say yes. And to say yes to God is to say, I submit to you. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And today, Lord, I just want to take a moment, I just want to ask for forgiveness. Lord, just as a church body, we are prone and just, Lord, we... <laughs> We can have such a tendency to do things in our own power, in our own will, with our own plan. And Lord, today we just make a declaration of faith, Lord, that we want to humble ourselves to you, to submit to your will and acknowledge that your ways are so much higher than our ways. Your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Your plan and your will for us is so much greater than our will for our, our own life. Lord, so we just ask as we humble ourselves and as we just submit to you, we just ask, Lord, would you lift us up? 
I just pray for anyone listening to this message, watching, anyone here in the room, Lord, I just pray, Lord, if we are found ourselves in a spiritual pit where we feel in despair, we just feel, Lord, like we don't know how we're going to face tomorrow. We've just tried and we don't know how to get out. Lord, today we submit to you. And if that's you just right there at your seat, I would just tell you just to turn your hands, palms up, and just say, Lord, I submit to you. I submit to you. And in doing so, Lord, we ask you to come in spiritually and to help us move forward. Would you help us find freedom? Will you help us walk into the the kingdom of God, inherit everything that you have for us, Lord? Would you give us wisdom on how to pray? And as we pray according to your will, we thank you that our prayers become effective. They produce wonderful results. And those wonderful results are your will being done in our life and our world as it is in heaven. God, today we submit to you and we ask you, Lord, just to lift us up. We humble ourselves. We don't know it all. We haven't figured it out. We haven't arrived. Would you lift us up today? Would you give us fresh hope for tomorrow? We know that you will because you are true to your word. We thank you for it. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.